saw some smoke and fire coming from the top of the mountain as he was beholding the presence of God. No doubt uh, there were some that probably thought he died. And they come back, they come to themselves after this word has been spreading through the camp that it doesn't appear Moses is coming back. So they decide that they're going to build this idol. They want to fashion themselves a substitute or an alternative to God. Not, they're not replacing Moses as much as they're attempting to replace God. And something really, really jumps out or should jump out to us on the, in this story, and that's this. First thing is the need for accountability. Even though it was the people's own heart that turned so quickly, as God says, back to worship idols and to turn from him and to break that covenant that he had made with them, even though it was their own individual responsibility and they forfeited uh, their, their right, they forfeited the right thing in doing that, there were several other things that I, that I think we really need to be able to look at that were part of the recipe for this potential disaster with the people. First is that Moses was gone. Moses wasn't an absent leader. Moses wasn't doing something wrong. Moses was where he needed to be, doing what he needed to be. He was not able to be right there with the people because he alone had to be able to be the, the, the mediator, the speaker, the communicator with God. So he was caught in service away from the people, and the people then, in a lack of leadership, then turn away from God. So Moses wasn't around. The second part of this recipe for potential disaster was Aaron. Aaron, if you want to look at a reason, if you want to really say, okay, God, I know the Bible says that you love us, and, and I understand that the Bible says there's a depth to your love, and that your mercy it knows no boundaries. If you really want to get a good idea of how much God loves somebody, you don't really have to look much further than Aaron, because Aaron had every right by God to be absolutely wiped off of the planet. Aaron had, Aaron had positioned himself in such, in such a way to be absolutely inexcusable before God. Aaron was the next in command, you could say. See, Moses was on the mountain, Joshua was part of the way up the mountain, and then Aaron was down with the people. Aaron was going to serve as their first priest, and here he is. The people come to him and they say, make us a gold image that we may worship. And Aaron knowing better, should have said, no, I'm not going to fashion a golden calf for you. I'm not going to, to build this idol. I'm not going to be able to play a part in you guys looking for a substitute or an alternative to God. Aaron should have shut that down right there, but he didn't. He comes up with a plan. Take all of the gold earrings off of your wives and off of your daughters and off of your son and bring them to me and I will form your golden calf. And he did. The fact that God did not absolutely make an ash heap out of Aaron is a tribute to the mercy and the long-suffering and the purpose and the patience of God. We need accountability in our lives. You know, if you think about it, we often want to be lone rangers. Sometimes, many of us want to be lone rangers, spiritually speaking. We want to be the we want to just be to ourselves. We want to have our faith. We want to we want to do our own thing. We don't really want to be, uh, you know, mixed up with too many people. We're we're comfortable playing the role of a long ranger. But the Bible knows nothing of a solitary fellow. The Bible knows nothing of a solitary Christianity. It doesn't know anything. It doesn't teach anything about us 
coming along all by ourselves and attempting to grow and to mature. The Bible actually knows much and teaches much about the importance of each one of us coming together in a family unit to worship and to grow and to develop. The Bible says in 59 different occurrences, 59 different times in the New Testament, the phrase one another is used. 59. What God is trying to communicate to us, what the Holy Spirit is trying to communicate to us through those 59 one another's is that we need one another. It is foolishness for us to think that we can navigate and journey through this life and develop and grow spiritually in the manner which God has called us without the assistance, the aid, the fellowship, the relationship with other believers. He wants us. If you don't believe me on how important accountability is, let me ask you this one question. Every one of us, I'm sure, knows somebody who was a Christian or proclaimed to be a Christian. They found you, they were in your Sunday school class. They may have been in your small group Bible study. They may have been the really strong Christian in your office place. You knew them. They were a Christian. They were not ashamed to say it. But then something happened. All of a sudden, they weren't talking about the Lord anymore. They weren't going to your Sunday school class. They weren't going to church anymore. They, and then before long, it was this very deep, horrible spiral of spiritual uh, depths that they were plunging into. You know, when I look at it, if I, if I think that accountability is not important, how come one of the first things to go, one of the first things to go in our downward spiral spiritually is fellowship? One of the first things we get rid of when we're going the wrong direction are other believers. It's not because they're not important. It's because we know they're important and we want to get away from that. We want to move away from God and we don't want other people to be around us. We don't want accountability. Listen to me, guys. Aaron's, Aaron's in this story, Aaron's are a precious commodity to a backslider. Backsliders are always looking for Aaron's. They want people that will enable them to move down. They want people who have one foot in church and one foot out that are going to tell them whatever they need. They're, they want people around them that are going to give them some bit of encouragement or help or assistance on that downward journey. There are by far too many errands in this world right now. There are by far too many that believe that it's okay. Do what you want to do. Aaron compromised spiritually Aaron made a calculation it was the wrong calculation and he is lucky God did not turn him into a pile of dirt it's again underscored in this story how much we need faithful honest people that are going to speak truth to our heart and to our life and let me tell you if you don't have that person if you don't have somebody or a group of people that are holding you accountable, I would ask, I would encourage you to find those people. Look for those people that love you enough to tell you the truth. They're willing to, they're willing to put your friendship on the line when they tell you the truth. They love you too much to lie to you. They love you too much to see you go down that road without a fight. You, we all need those people in our life. Aaron's are a precious commodity. To the backslider. Now move with me if you would from the need for accountability to the dangers of idolatry. Notice 
the people speak in verse 32, or in chapter 32, and then God repeats it back to you and back to them in verse 8. This is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. God was aware of not just their actions, but their conversations. God had heard every word they said and repeated it back. Now, no doubt that had to absolutely break his heart. You know, most generally, because of our nature, we tend to read the Bible and read stories and interpret them from our vantage point, which is here. We look up. We, we filter everything to how does it affect me. But one of the things that is incredibly helpful as we begin to grow and understand the nature and the character of God is to be able to pause for just a minute and say, wait a second, how does this affect God? Knowing what I know about God's heart, what does this do to him? See, his nature is unchanging. We know that the God of Exodus chapter 32 is still the God of today. His heart is the same. His character is the same. His nature is the same. And you know what God was saying? I, I, I believe, I believe really that there was a broken heart in what God was saying. Moses, get down there. Because your people said this is the God that brought you out of the land of Egypt. Several things I want you to think about that statement. First is it's untrue. It is blatantly false. Those people could be so misled, so misled, that they could look to that God that they had fashioned with their own hand and that they could even utter, that they could even lift up any kind of praise to it and ascribe what God did, clearly what God did, and heap all of that praise on this golden calf that they made from earrings. First, it was untrue. Secondly, is this, it was unwise. They were looking for some God to go before them. Now, there are only really two options of where they would go. They would either try to go to the promised land, finish out their journey, or they would turn around and go back to Egypt. We don't know which one was going, to, which direction necessarily they were going, but they wanted this God to be able to be raised up. They wanted this God to be the one that marched before them and defeated their enemies and provided food and provided water and did all of these things miraculously. But if you think about it, their statement, this is the God that brought you out of the land of Egypt, was not just untrue, it was absolutely unwise. Had God allowed them to hoist that golden calf and carry it before them anywhere they went, it would have been an immediate walk into a disaster. Their steps, their, their decision to follow that God, who that, that idol, I should say, would not have been able to provide protection. That, that animal, that, that gold animal, would not be able to provide them food. That would have literally been a death trap. It was not just untrue. It was not just unwise, but it was an insult to God. What an insult to the heart of God to say, God, we're taking away all that you did. We're taking away all of the credit for what you did, and we're giving it to this calf. You know, we look at this story. All of us, I would say, are level-headed, clear-minded people. We read this story, and I'm sure in your mind, as in my mind, we think, how could they do that? 
I mean, after all they saw, after all they witnessed, how in the world, what, what was going on in here that they could literally do that? It doesn't make sense to us. And we look at that and we say clearly, that's foolishness. We see people um, in other religions throughout the world worshiping and bowing down before statues. And we look at that and we say that's so incredibly foolish. But let me ask you this. Even though we can look at that golden calf and we can look at all of these other statues that men have formed as a representation of their God, we look at that and we say that's foolish. God is not a God made with hands. He's not a God that I can fashion. He's a God that fashions me. And I look at that and I say, how foolish. But you know, if the truth be told, even though we may never mold and erect some golden calf, even though we may never set up this idol in our life, don't you know that we are all susceptible to raising up substitutes in our life for God? We are all we are all prone naturally to replace God with some kind of an unsuitable alternative in our life. Let me show you what the people did. Let me go back through that process with you. Because I think that that text is very, very, very important. Because it will also help us, help me, diagnose are there things that I have placed as a substitute or an alternative to God? Go back with me to chapter 32. Look at the very beginning. In verse 1, the people gathered together to Aaron and said to him, Come, make us gods that shall go before us. What they're saying is make us a substitute for God that shall go before us as for this Moses the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt. We do not know what has become of him. The first question I want you to be able to write down, I want you to be able to ask this morning is this. Where or who do I turn in times of trouble? Who or where do I turn in times of trouble? Because what happened? There was a panic among the people. They were concerned. Moses hasn't come back down. Moses isn't here. What are we going to do? So their alternative was, instead of seeking the God who Moses sought, seeking the one true living God, let's turn somewhere else. So that's a very important question for us to ask ourselves. Where or who do I turn to in times of trouble? Who is the first? Who is the prominent? Do we, do we turn to people in the times of trouble? Do we turn to organizations or institutions in times of trouble? Do we turn to our money or our jobs or, or our sense of accomplishment in times of trouble? Do we turn to our own strength or our own wisdom in times of trouble? Or in times of trouble, chaos, confusion, do we turn first to God? As the truth of the matter is this. We're going to turn first to that which is most important to us. That's a fact. We are going to turn first to that which is most important to us. Israelites, Moses isn't here. We need a leader, so Aaron, make us a calf. Where or who do I turn to in times of trouble? Where I turn first represents 
what is most important. This represents the protection and the providence aspect of God. I need help. Where am I going to go to help? I'm going to go to God first. Or am I going to go elsewhere? Secondly. Aaron said, break off the golden earrings which are in the ears of your wives, your sons and your daughters and bring them to me. So all the people broke off their golden earrings which were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. In verse one. They brought us up out of the land of Egypt. We do not know what has become of him. Sorry, verse four. And they received the gold from their hand. He fashioned it with an engraving tool and made a molded calf. Then they said, this is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. Second important question we need to ask. Not just who and where do I turn first in times of trouble, but second is this. Where do I direct my praise when things are good? Where do I direct my praise when things are good? You'll probably find probably find that the answer to question number two is probably the same to the answer to question number one. Where I direct my praise is probably going to be similar to the first person or thing that I seek out for answers. Not always the case, but most generally. And this third question, where do I invest? I'm not talking about your portfolio. I'm talking about what are you willing to give your time, your talent, and your treasure to? What are you willing to sacrifice for? You see, it wasn't just a matter of the people having something. They could have had a wooden stick that would have cost them nothing. They could have fashioned, they could have engraved a rock as far as that goes. But they didn't. Aaron made them something of gold and he turned to them and he said, give your gold up. Bring me your gold earrings that you brought out of Egypt that God gave you. Bring those to me and I will fashion a cow for you. Where or who do I seek first when times are bad? Where do I direct my praise when things are good? And where do I invest my time, my talent, my treasure? They gave over their gold. It had to be worked. It had to be made just right. There were a lot of hours, resources thrown into that. And I would imagine that if you and I are able to ask those three questions honestly, I believe that that answer could reveal, could reveal, but maybe God isn't in that place that we that he really should be. Answer to that question can really be startling. Because we might say, you know what? When things go bad, I turn to money. When things go bad, I just realize I gotta do something about it. I have to rely on my own strength, my own wisdom. You know what, when things are good and I get through that, I'm the first one to praise myself. That may be what we say. You know what, I'm willing, my, my bank account, my calendar, they all reflect. But it's not God that has the preeminence in my life. 
it's me. And just as we look at that golden calf and we say, how foolish. Shouldn't we also say that about any other thing we raise as a substitute to God? Shouldn't we say that for anything else that we put up as an alternative to him? It is an insult. It is untrue. And it is unwise. I don't care how smart you are. I don't care how good you are at your job. I don't care how you think timing has always been just perfect in your life. I promise you, it is not on you. None of that would be possible. None of it would be possible had God not given you that ability in the first place. None of that would be possible if you did not even have the ability to work as God reminds his people in Deuteronomy. None of that would be possible were there not a good God that was watching over you and blessing you and working behind the scenes and yet down here we scoff at a golden calf and yet oftentimes there are so many things we raise as an alternative or a substitute to God. We worship Him on Sunday and Monday through Saturday we live life as though He doesn't even exist. Oftentimes we can only give our idols praise because we have relegated such little if any time or place for For God, this story, these three questions, where do I where do I turn for help first? Where do I direct my praise and where do I invest? Those three questions show me the two real dangers of idolatry. The two real dangers are this. Either I have raised something up as a substitute to God or I have reduced Jesus Christ to nothing more than a hobby in my life either raised all these other things up and set them right beside him or i've lowered everything including him down to the point that he has become nothing more than a hobby that i give a little to and i spend a little time with there were consequences no doubt god in his love for his people could not allow that to go unanswered. As I told you, it is untrue, the things we say. It's also unwise. Not just because it is foolish to trust in anything but the one true God who has shown himself over and over faithful. But it is also unwise because as a believer, I told you that throughout this journey, their one lesson to learn was trust me. And they were to apply that lesson in every area of life And in this situation, if you and I are not trusting God, I believe that there is chastening to be had. There's discipline. Why? Because that lesson is so important. That lesson is core to us as believers. Trust Him. We begin by trusting Christ as our Savior. And we grow and develop and mature by trusting God. And I believe He will break our arm to get to our heart, to teach us that lesson, to trust Him. If you notice in verse 26, Moses, or verse 25, Moses saw that the people were unrestrained, for Aaron had not restrained them to their shame among their enemies, having a sex party, guys. Then Moses stood in the entrance of the camp and said, whoever is on the Lord's side, come to me. And all the sons of Levi gathered together to him. And he said to them, 
Thus says the Lord God of Israel, let every man put his sword on his side, go in and out from the entrance throughout the camp, and let every man kill his brother, every man his companion, and every man his neighbor. So the sons of Levi did according to the word of Moses, and about 3,000 men of the people fell that day. First, there was a call to decision. Moses goes outside of the camp and says, who's on the Lord's side? All of the sons of Levi, who would be the prophets, or who would be the priests, they come out and Moses says, all right, I want you to wet your sword because it's time to execute judgment. Remember, they're outside the camp at the entrance. And Moses says, I want you to go in there and I just want you to start killing people. God was executing fierce judgment because that type of spiritual insolence would not be tolerated among God's people. He was teaching them a lesson. 3,000 people died by the sword that day. I would have thought that that number would have been larger, but it would be incredibly difficult to slay every man his brother, to slay every man his neighbor. It would have been very difficult to be a son of Levi and to slay every man his companion. First, there was a call to decision. Secondly, there was death. We read that in verse 28. 3,000 people died. But if you look over in chapter 32, verse 35. So the Lord plagued the people because of what they did with the calf which Aaron made. It wasn't just the death. that Once those 3,000 were dead, it wasn't over. God continued to plague. We don't have a description on what that plague was. It could have been boils. It could have been sore. It could have been any number of the things that they had seen in Egypt previously. God reminding them hey, I'm still in control. You see, in this story, we hear that God had 3,000 men killed. We think, man, God, that is awfully, awfully brutal. We kind of shake our heads, and it doesn't seem to want to register with this loving God that we hear. Let me ask you a question. What do you think would have happened Had God said, okay, you want that golden calf? You want that golden calf to lead you? Go ahead. Lift it high. Go ahead, march your way. Do you know what would have happened to those people had God allowed them to march under the leadership of that idol, that poor substitute that they had raised? First of all, they would have either thirsted to death Or they would have died of a horrible, slow death of starvation, maybe even cannibalism. Or they would have been absolutely, utterly defeated by their enemies. Now look at it. Thirsting to death, starvation, or an utter defeat by the pagans around them. It seems to me like God was awfully merciful to send a message of 3,000. Yes, God will break our arms. To get to our hearts. Friends look at this third and final thing. We can't leave it. We can't leave it at the dangers of idolatry. Because then we get a look at the third thing. The depth of mercy. Moses. Pleads with the people. Verse 29. Then Moses said consecrate yourselves today to the Lord. That he may bestow on you a blessing this day. For every man has opposed his son and his brother. And it came to pass on the next day that Moses said to the people, You have committed a great sin. 
So now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. I'm going to go up and I'm going to talk to God. And Moses makes no promises to them. He says, you guys have really stepped in it now. But I'm going to go up this mountain, Moses says. And I'm going to talk to God. You see, somewhere right here, even though Moses knew that God was just, and that God was true, and that God was holy, Moses had to also know that there was mercy to be found with God. See, Moses knew God loved those people. And Moses marched up that hill and makes and makes the claim for the people. Guys, if you want, there is a the greater than Moses has come. You and I, the Bible tells us in Isaiah chapter 53, verse 6, we all like sheep have gone astray, every man to his own way. Every one of us, all wandering like sheep, not following the shepherd, but turning away from the shepherd. And Jesus Christ, what a picture this is of sinners down there at the base of the hill. Sinners condemned unclean. And one man saying, I will go up. And I will secure an atonement for you. Jesus Christ. As we have all become like sheep, gone astray, every man to his own way. Jesus Christ became the perfect sheep. The one that never went astray. The only one that could ever claim to be perfect and holy knowing that it had to be His perfection and His holiness that atoned for our sins. But the good news is, Jesus never had to say, I'm going to go up this mountain and perhaps I will get atonement for your sin. Jesus made the promise before He ever went to the cross that He would make an atonement for our sins. It was that confidence to know that all of us as idolaters, all of us who were vile in our sins, that every one of us today could have free, complete, pardon, atonement for the sin that we've committed. Yes, there was a great conversation. I encourage you to read it. I encourage you to today, Sunday afternoon, read chapter 33 and chapter 34 and hear Moses' heart pleading with God and see the heart of God displayed as he turns to his people and he says, I will bless them. Wow. The only thing deeper than the pit of our sin truly is the dipper of God's grace. That is the only thing that can reach to the very depths of our sin, whether it be self-righteousness, whether it be our, our substitutes that we place for God, whatever that is, the only thing that can truly reach to the very depths of our sin is a complete, perfect atonement from God, and it's only available through Jesus Christ. What are those things that you and I are tempted or have 
place as a substitute, a very poor, poor substitute for God in our lives. 